are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. All right, well, last week, we began a study on the Acts of the Apostles, and we acknowledged uh, first that as Pentecostals, we approach this book differently than other Christians do, for we are restorationists. Remember our new theological term? Um, And I just want to review what restorationism is. It's an attempt to restore the church to the doctrine and the practice of the earliest Christians, meaning those found in the book of Acts, and to restore it to a place where it is free from the influence of church history and tradition. And last week we looked at the modern Pentecostal movement, which began with a revival in a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, and led to the Azusa Street Revival, which I'm sure all of us have heard of in some measure, and there's our picture again. And the Calvary Church is part of an organization that was formed by early oneness organizations. Thus, we understand that Azusa Street is part of our heritage here on Ken Road. Amen. And I was reflecting on this and remembered the verse that Granddad wrote to happy people. I don't know if you know this, but Granddad is the one who wrote the verse, We are Pentecostal. Yes, we are. We are Pentecostal. Yes, we are. Been baptized in Jesus' name. Spoke in tongues when the Holy Ghost came. We are Pentecostal. Yes, we are. And we sang that song as part of the installation service that we had in December, not just because it's the Pasley family theme song, but it's the message, the foundation of the Calvary Church, because we are not ashamed of this message of salvation. Amen? We understand that what we preach is based on Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, And I don't say that with an era of superiority or spiritual arrogance, but with a grateful heart to say that I can trace what I believe and what I'm trying to practice in my life straight from the holy word of God. And I remember that when Bishop Dad would baptize people, one of the things he would say to them before he got in the mic was, I'm going to baptize you just like they did In the book of Acts, what a treasure you and I have in this truth to be taught directly from the inspired word of God. And so when people ask us, what do I need to do to be saved? We should give them the same answer. Peter gave the crowd that day in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Repent, be baptized in Jesus name and you will. Not maybe, not if you want it, not if it smacks you in the face and takes control of you. No, you will receive it because it's a gift for everyone. And we believe that we are a part of that first church, the church that began and was established in Acts. And I want to quickly review the main points that we made last week in order to prepare us for where we're going tonight. We said that the author of the book of Acts is Luke, that he wrote both Luke and Acts. We said that Dr. Luke's audience was 
Theophilus. Now we know there's some debate, was that a group of people or was it an individual? But what we do know is both Luke and Acts were written to Theophilus. Most likely Acts was written before AD 70. And the reason we know that and can make that assumption is because it was probably written before the destruction of Jerusalem. And it was probably written before the death of Paul. And so the uh, final point that we made and we really tried to emphasize last week was the genre of the book of Acts because Acts is a unique book in the New Testament because it is the only book that was written as narrative theology. And although we certainly acknowledge that Acts is a book of history, there's a lot of information in the book of Acts, we understand that its importance is much more than just the history of the early church. We said it was not a collection of tall tales with Dr. Luke, that he just randomly chose his favorite stories and exploits of the early church. But according to the author of our book for this series, assigning the right genre to this book of the Bible is vital. Robin Johnston says this, understanding the genre of Acts matters because it helps us correctly interpret the book. It helps us correctly surmise what it is that we're supposed to learn and apply to our lives. And so as Pentecostals, we believe that Acts is not just a collection of facts. It's not just names and places, but rather there is purpose in everything that Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to share with us. Remember, Luke started the books of Luke and Acts with the same premise. I want to look again at Luke 1.3. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And while staying with them, he, meaning Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now we know that Luke was a very intelligent person. We know his approach to this divine assignment of writing the book of Acts of the Apostles was done diligently. Luke lets us know he was a student. He was very careful with all of his details. And he even says in Luke chapter 1 verse 2, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. I appreciate that, Luke. Thank you for organizing all of this for us. And this is a good time to make a a key point here, that Luke is not an eyewitness to everything that he writes about in the book of Acts. But rather, in the second um, half of Acts, we see Luke start using the pronoun we, meaning at some point he joined the festivities, if you will. At some point, he became a part of these stories that he shares. And Luke took great care in what he included and the order in which he wrote it. And can you imagine Luke's process? What that would be like 
interviewing incredible people, celebrities, if you will, of the early church, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, hanging out with Paul in those travels, all the notes he must have taken. And then when it was time to sit down and write, can you imagine that editing process? Like I can just see Luke in this room with scrolls everywhere and ink smeared everywhere and things tossed around just as he's trying to whittle it down and follow the leading of God's spirit to say, no, no, this is what we've got to focus on. This is what I've got to tell them. Because we have to assume Luke couldn't tell us everything that happened, right? John had that problem when he wrote his gospel. He said, if Everything that Jesus ever did was recorded. The world itself could not contain the books that could be written. And so I think we can kind of make a similar assumption that the acts of the apostles were too many to put into one book because the church grew on a daily basis. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine the logistics of this person needs a Bible study? This person needs baptized. There's um, a group of uh, Poor destitute people over here. We want to get funds to them. Because um, in Acts chapter 2 verse 47, Luke lets us know, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Something was happening every single day. And if you think about it, we see great movement when you read the book of Acts. A lot happens From the very beginning to the very end of the book. Acts begins in Jerusalem, right? On the day of Pentecost, Jesus left them, told them to stay and wait for the promise. And the book of Acts ends in Rome. In Acts, the gospel is first preached to the Jews, right? At Pentecost. And we see from Acts chapter 10 on, we see the gospel preached to everyone, to the Gentiles. We see this movement. Things are happening. The church is growing. And so because there's so much information in the book of Acts, tonight we're simply going to look at four themes in the books of Luke and Acts to help us summarize the book without keeping you here till next Wednesday. And I hope you appreciate that. So, We need to keep in mind that Luke and Acts were written as companion books. Even though in our Bible, um, John separates both books, really one leaves off and the other one picks up where Luke left off. And I brought this because I think this is just the most amazing thing I've seen in a long time. This is an ESV version of the Gospels and the book of Acts. But what is so amazing about it is there are no chapters and verses. It gives you the sense of how it was written. And so um, I've tried it out just because I've never really read scripture like that before. And I actually ended up reading a lot more than I had intended to because it was just like one continuous story. I couldn't put it down. It was all so interesting. So anyway, I just thought I'd let you know that's available and just a a fresh, uh, I think, exciting way to pick up your Bible. Thank you, Sister Reed, for bringing this into my life. Um, And so the four theological themes. The first one is the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we approach Acts, it is important that we understand who Jesus is is a brand new revelation to the people in the book of Acts. 
There aren't a lot of seasoned saints in the early church, right? All of this is new. And the people who are established in the faith are quickly outnumbered on the day of Pentecost because 3,000 people are added to the church in one day. You talk about church growth. Oh my goodness. I cannot imagine. But the deity and the identity of Jesus was still new information, if you will. And so of the four gospel writers... Luke gives us the most information about the birth of Jesus Christ. And we kind of know this and understand this because typically at Christmas time, we read the Christmas story out of Luke's book. And so one of the reasons for this is Luke was laying the groundwork for the case that he was making all throughout his books to tell people this is who Jesus is. There is no doubt Jesus is who he claimed to be. And so I want to give you a few quick examples to illustrate how much effort Luke actually put into making clear that Jesus was the Christ. The first example is that Luke began his emphasis on Jesus' coming to earth with the birth of John the Baptist. Okay? Um, Luke spends time unfolding the details of John's birth and Jesus' birth because both required the supernatural, right? So immediately we get this sense of something divine is taking place. God has intervened and stepped into the human story in an unprecedented way. The second thing is that Luke began the book of Acts with the most detailed description of Jesus' ascension. I want to read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, and I want you to try to get that mental picture of Jesus getting ready to leave the earth. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing um, into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thank you, Luke, for those details. That's pretty exciting stuff. And the uh, third example I wanted to give you is Luke's use of names and titles for Jesus is very intentional. And I hope this excites you as a Pentecostal. For example, the title, the term Lord Jesus is used 18 times in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Luke writes that there is no other name but Jesus that can save us. In Acts chapter 9, when Luke tells us the story of Saul of Tarsus' conversion, whom we know as Paul, when he was knocked off that horse by a bright light, he asked a very important question as a good Jew, Who art thou, 
Lord? And the voice said to him, I am Jesus. Very significant information for us. And throughout Acts, Luke refers to Jesus as Savior, Lord, Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David, meaning the Messiah and the Son of Man. Luke's writings on the birth of Jesus Christ present Jesus as one who was born the Son of God. He didn't just become the Son of God through a life lived on earth that he did a great job. No, it wasn't an achievement that he attained. Rather, Jesus was born with full deity. He was born the Son of God. His deity was certain from the very beginning of the story. And the point here is simply this. In Luke's writing, Jesus is progressively revealed as God. And it is clear by the end of the book of Acts that the early Christians believed that Jesus was God in the flesh. Amen. The second theme we see is the work of the Holy Spirit. And there is special emphasis given to this subject, which is one of the reasons why we as Pentecostals love the book of Acts and are drawn to the book of Acts. Frankly, Luke had a lot to say about the work of the Spirit. He mentioned it more than Matthew and Mark did. And it's also worth noting that Acts mentions the Holy Spirit four times more often than the book of Luke itself. We see the importance of the work of the Spirit in what we call the Christmas story. At the very beginning of Luke's writings in his gospel, he pays special attention and label specifically the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. I want to give you just a few bullet points, and we're not going to look at the scriptures specifically for the sake of time, but if you want to write them down and look them up later, you're welcome to do that. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15, it is prophesied that John the Baptist would be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. That is powerful. I wish that my children had been filled with the Spirit. Before they were born. But the Bible lets us know. John the Baptist was again pointing to the supernatural in all of this. Mary was told by the angel that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. And enable her to conceive in chapter 1 verse 35. Elizabeth, John's mother, I love this. Was filled with the Holy Spirit when she heard Mary's greeting. The Bible says. In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, can you imagine that experience? Your cousin says, hey, Elizabeth, and you are filled with the Holy Ghost. My goodness, things are happening in the book of Luke. John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Spirit, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And the Spirit fell on Simeon while he waited for the Messiah in the temple in Jerusalem in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 27. And so see we we see here that five of the key players in what we know as the birth narrative or the Christmas story, we see these people experience the power of the Holy Spirit and that is pretty amazing. When Luke concluded his gospel, he recorded the farewell address if you will of Jesus to the disciples. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city, meaning Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. 
Could it be that Jesus was implicating by this promise, this assurance to the disciples that the Holy Spirit was about to be poured out, it was about to be experienced by humanity in an unprecedented way. And as we read through the book of Acts, we realize that the work of the Holy Spirit was not just limited to the salvation experience. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus set the stage for this reality when he said, But you will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit guiding the disciples. It's not just a phenomenon that was limited to Pentecost, but the Bible says specifically, Luke lets us know in specific chapters that it is the Holy Spirit of God that is directing their steps, that is telling them where to go, what to do, what not to do. For example, Barnabas and Saul were set aside by the Holy Spirit for a mission in Acts chapter 13. The Holy Spirit helped the Jerusalem council make very important decisions about the newly converted Gentiles. And Acts chapter 16 tells us that the Spirit kept Paul from going to Asia. And from these instances, we clearly see that for Dr. Luke, the work of the Spirit was not just limited to the city of Jerusalem. It was not this isolated one-time event in the lives of the early church. But for Luke, it was a fulfillment of what Jesus had promised, that it would be a guiding force in our lives, that the Holy Spirit would be the comforter that we need it to be. The Holy Spirit is the very spirit of truth that Jesus said would lead you and guide you into all truth. And we see the disciples experiencing that in the book of Acts because God's spirit not only saves us, but the spirit of God empowers us to fill, fulfill God's mission in our lives and for his church. And there can be no doubt when reading Acts that the New Testament church was not only spirit-filled, it was definitely spirit-led. Amen. The third theme is salvation. And we see this through the stories that Luke chooses to share with us. In Acts 2, we see Peter preaching the very first message of the new birth to the Jews in Jerusalem. And from there, we see the consistent message of the apostles to every person that they come in contact with, that salvation has been made available to everyone through Jesus Christ. Christ And throughout Acts, we see two questions being asked consistently by the disciples to whomever they encounter. Have you received the Holy Ghost? And have you been baptized? We see this over and over again, a pattern in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. In Acts chapter 9, with Saul's conversion, the Bible says that Ananias prayed for Paul to receive the Holy Ghost, and after that experience, Ananias baptized Paul. In Acts chapter 10, we're familiar with this story. Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit while Peter was teaching them. And the Bible lets us know that Peter heard them speak with tongues, and that's how he knew. My goodness, 
The Gentiles have just received the Holy Ghost. What is going on? And the Bible lets us know that because Peter saw them filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, who am I that I don't baptize them? Because clearly God has made this salvation experience available to them. And then the disciples at Ephesus. I love this story because Paul is just, I love his focus. I just cannot imagine the intensity of his personality. That he meets these disciples at Ephesus and he asks them straight up, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they say, we don't even know if there is a Holy Ghost. And two verses later, he's laying hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost. Paul was sure about what he needed to share with them. And he asked them, have you been baptized? And they said, well, we've been baptized to John's baptism. And Paul said, well, that's great. That was a baptism of repentance, but you need to receive the Holy Spirit and you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And we see him do those things in Acts chapter 19. And so we see this pattern, the consistency of the apostles' message that John's baptism was one of repentance and it's important, but that there was more, that they needed to be baptized if they hadn't been in the name of Jesus, that they laid hands on people who had not yet received the Holy Spirit and they knew that they had received the Holy Spirit because they heard them speak in tongues. And through these incredible stories, thank you, Luke, for making it clear to us what the disciples experienced themselves and shared with everyone that they came in contact with. And our uh, fourth theme is the inclusion of the marginalized, the women, the poor, and the disabled. These are themes in both books that Luke wrote. And it is evident that Luke paid attention to those on the margins of society. And I can't help but wonder, is this the physician in Luke coming out? His awareness of disease, his awareness of the influence of disability and what it does to people's lives. But we've, um, we'll start with the women. Throughout Luke and Acts, we see Luke take care to note special roles that women played in his narrative. We've already mentioned Mary and Elizabeth. Their significance is without the ability to contest. They made it physically possible for the miracle that was John the Baptist and the miracle that was Jesus Christ in the flesh possible. Luke is the one that records that the prophetess Anna identified Jesus as a baby, as the Messiah you know I love that story. In fact, Luke goes so far as to pair both male and female characters together, sometimes doing the same task. Simeon and Anna were in the temple when Jesus was presented that day. Mary and Joseph clearly were in partnership in God's plan for their lives. Zacharias and Elizabeth together doing the will of God, raising the great prophet John the Baptist. In Acts, we see Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife team, teaching Apollos the doctrine together. And we unfortunately also see Ananias and Sapphira choosing to conspire against the disciples to lie to the Holy Ghost, what Peter said, and eventually die the same death. 
And so through the story of Mary and Martha, Luke lets us know something so important that we kind of overlook because we're so worried about Martha being upset and Mary being right and Martha being carnal, that what Luke was really letting us know that because Mary was found at the feet of Jesus, Mary had the opportunity as a woman in that ancient culture to be a disciple of Jesus. That's why Luke mentions that story, to let us know that Jesus systematically tore down the social structure of that day. Luke lets us know in the account of the resurrection that it was a group of women who first realized that Jesus had risen from the dead. In Acts, Luke shows women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, present in the upper room. And let me just pause and tell you, That if Mary, the mother of Jesus, needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then who are you and I to feel like we don't need it or to feel like we don't want it? Mary physically carried God in her body and yet we see her and other women present in the upper room at Pentecost. Lydia and Dorcas were leaders and great blessings to the early church. And in Acts chapter 21, verse 9, Luke mentions that Philip's four daughters prophesied. My dad loved that verse and he claimed it for himself. But I love that. Four daughters that prophesied. And so now let's look at what um, Acts and Luke tell us about the poor. In Acts, we see that immediately following the birth of the church, They began to pull their resources together. The Bible says they had all things common. Special care was given to the widows and the less fortunate in the days of the early church. And Luke makes it a point to let us know that. That the early church came together to form a new community. That ancient world had all kinds of um, social outcasts and prejudices that we can't even understand the way they viewed certain people, the way they treated certain people, the limits of certain groups of people in that society. It doesn't resonate with our American mindset. And yet Jesus extended love and care to every person. He set that example himself. And we see in the book of Acts, the disciples doing the same thing. In fact, we know that Jesus quoted Isaiah to make his purpose clear. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus established from the beginning that the gospel is for everyone. And this was a key element, a fundamental belief and practice of the church in the book of Acts. It's also significant that many of the physical healings that Jesus performed in his ministry, the disciples actually replicated themselves. Why? Because that was part of the work of the Spirit, was to be extended to those who had no other access to the power and presence of God. But God's presence, the gospel, tore down those walls in that ancient world. And we believe 
that the spirit and power of God can do that in our world and is doing it in our world through us. Amen. You know, these themes are so fundamental to who we are and what we say we believe and are trying to live our, live, our lives by. The revelation of who Jesus is, our salvation experience, what it means to be saved, the work of God's Spirit in our lives, that as Pentecostals, we, we don't embrace the idea of, you know, one and done, you speak in tongues, you're good to go for eternity. But we understand that according to Jesus, what he told the disciples was that the Holy Spirit would come, the Comforter would come, and be a guiding force in our lives. It would be like a mentor to us, a constant presence and source of help and encouragement and comfort to us. But I think that when we think about this idea of Luke and Acts showing us that Jesus and the disciples reached out to the marginalized in that society, it challenges us and reminds us, hopefully, that the gospel is for everyone and that everyone deserves to hear it. And because we believe that, we don't just sit around and wait for Friends Day and try to get them in here. But we brought those organizations here on Sunday so that you could see what people are doing in our community and that you would sign up maybe, that you would volunteer and find a way to serve the marginalized, the disabled, the poor, the weak, the people that don't know about Jesus or can't get here on their own, that you would take Jesus to them in some way. And so I want to be a church of the book of Acts. And I don't want that to be just limited to meaning that we speak in tongues when we're in this house. But I believe that the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives changes us and challenges us and can direct our steps when we leave this place if we allow it to. And so I want us to pray to that end together that we don't just celebrate the truth that we have, but we understand the responsibility that we have to get that truth to other people. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you, God, for scripture that was divinely inspired, God, that your work and your will was accomplished through men and women that you called, men and women that you filled with your spirit. God, the acts of the apostles, you really aren't present, God, outside of your spirit. You're not doing those miracles. You're doing it through those individuals. You're speaking through them. You're touching lives through them. And God, I want the Calvary Church to be yielded to you in such a way that you can work through us to reach our city, to reach this community, Lord, this Springdale area, that we're not just looking for ways to bring them to this house, but God, we're praying about ways that you would direct us to go to them, to bring your presence and to bring this truth to them wherever they might be. Let us have a heart for people like you do, God. Let us have a renewed appreciation for the truth and the power of it in our lives. God, Guide us and help us the rest of this week. Give us opportunity to share what we know and what we have with someone who needs it, someone who's ready to receive it. In Jesus' name I pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.
This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.